supposed to talk to you about Chamisha Betavis. Hey, Tavis. And I have approximately 50 minutes to do so, which is far too little. I don't have enough time to do this justice. And I, I, I want to say this straight. I, I don't do well with teaching people that I don't know, especially pimiistic things, intimate things. When people ask me to fabreng for crowds of people that I'm not familiar with, um, it's very difficult because if I knew you, I'd know what you need to hear. I don't know yours. I don't know what's the right, what, what, what you need to hear about Hey Tavis. I don't know because I don't know you. You understand? My students who are in my class all the time, those who speak up get insulted, but at least I know what they think. Those who keep quiet, I don't know them either. So I'm going to try and talk to you about Hey Tavis in the 50 minutes that I have in a way that I hope is constructive and educational and maybe even inspiring, okay? In other words, I really hope I give you the right message for Hey Tavis in the little time that I have, but I'm, I'm to a great extent, I'm, I'm groping in the dark. I, I, I don't know what would be the perfect message. I'm just going to begin by telling you my personal experience. The story of Hey Tavis is not something I read about in a book. You're just kids that I read about in the book. You're bestamas I read about in the book. Hey Tavis, I lived. When the Rebbe started talking about the books, I was almost 20. I was big. And I was a yeshiva bacher, which meant that my whole life was the Rebbe. You know, when you're, when you're a yeshiva bacher, when you get married, you have other things to do. Your whole world is the Rebbe. That's all I breathed and lived and ate and drank and slept. So it's very personal to me. It's very personal. The whole story is very personal, intimate to me because I lived it. And the thing which is most acute in my imagination and in my memory when I talk about this event and this day is the Rebbe's pain. I saw how much pain the Rebbe had. And I, I wasn't even here. I was out of town. But you could hear it in his voice. The pain and the suffering. You may not know this. There was a period of time that the Rebbe was physically not able to walk. Pasha couldn't walk. And it was understood at the time that it was Pasha from stress. Um, the story of the Sfarim took an incredible toll on the Rebbe. It took an incredible toll on the Rebbetzin. Um, this was really the first time or the second time the Chassidim saw how much of a partner the Rebbe was to the, the Rebbetzin was with the Rebbe and the Rebbe's work. And it exhausted them. It aged them. It took it very personally. This first point, the Rebbe's Agmas Nefesh, how much pain it caused the Rebbe, leads to the second point which is, when an outsider hears the story of the books, it's a big turn-off. When a person who doesn't understand what a Rebbe is, or doesn't understand what our Rebbe is, thank you very much, I do appreciate it. Here's the story of the Sfarim. It, it sounds so typical. It sounds so, of course, this is what happens. A family has money, someone dies, they fight. There's nothing unusual about it. And of course, that's a tragic and a sad and incorrect version of the story of the Svarim. The Rebbe did not get as upset as he got because he didn't get along with his sister-in-law or didn't get along with his nephew, which is the story, right? For those who don't know the story... The Felix ever passed away. This is the, you know, this is the 92nd version of the Hey Tavis story. The Felix ever passed away and did not leave a will. However, he publicly registered all of the properties that he owned 
to, to an organization. To Agudah Sari Chabad. 770 belongs to Agudah Sari Chabad. The library was the property of Agudah Sari Chabad, which is a community organization. Agudah Sari Chabad is very alive and well. It's more alive and well today than it was in 1950. We, every Lubavitcher is Agudah Sari Chabad. We're members of the community of Lubavitcher Chassidim. The Rebbe registered his house that he lived in and his library that he used to all of us. Agudah Sari Chabad. One of the most disconcerting little details of how the previous Rebbe lived, the Friedrich Rebbe lived in 770 on the second floor. And he paid rent every month to Agudah Sari Chabad for his apartment. Now how redundant is that? It's like taking money from your right pocket and putting it in your left pocket. Who was Agudah Sari Chabad? It was the Rebbe. But that's how orderly and that's how kosher he wanted it. He wanted it all to be above board. And he made it very clear that Agudah Sari Chabad... Hanagarari, who fought with the Rebbe about the books, paid rent for her apartment her whole life. Now, why is she paying rent for an apartment that belongs to her? When the Friedrich Rebbe passed away, they claimed that it was private property and they were going to divide it. And the Rebbe didn't leave a will. The Rebbe did not leave a will, so they know what he wanted. When her mother passed away 20 years later, the Rebbe's Nechamadin, the previous Rebbe's wife, she did write a will and divided up the building and the library, which were worth millions of dollars. Today it's worth tens of millions of dollars at least. She gave each daughter 40% and her grandson 20%. Now the Rebbe's position was, it wasn't hers to give away. Because the previous Rebbe didn't own it. It belonged to the community. And they were arguing basically that it didn't belong to the community, it was private property, and he, he registered it as a legal organization for tax purposes and for economic purposes. In other words, for half-truth. That's basically the position. Now, this was very de- serious for the Rebbe. The, the Rebbe didn't treat this lightly. Mm-hmm. To the Rebbe, the idea that you would think that the previous Rebbe would do things tongue-in-cheek, do things and not mean them, and base it on what happened 100 years before or 150 years before was very disturbing to the Rebbe. The Rebbe felt that the Friedrich Rebbe made it very, very clear that he didn't want Lubavitch to be a private business, but that it's a foundation it's a trust, as the judge called it, that belongs to every member of Anash. You're a Lubavitcher Chassid. You own that library. It's yours. And it belongs to the 770 building belongs to every Lubavitcher Chassid in the world. It belongs to all of us. We're all members of a good Chassid Chabad. Of course, a good Chassid Chabad has a leadership, but the leadership is responsible to the community. That's what this is. So that's a story. That's a story, basically. So they always claimed that it was theirs, and they never always claimed that it wasn't theirs. It was a simmering, it was a cauldron waiting to explode. It was a pot waiting to blow up. And the Rebbe's position was that as long as they didn't touch it, he wasn't going to say a word. The Rebbe made it very clear to the people closest to him that he felt that 770 was his as the successor of the Fiyidik Rebbe, not as a private person, but as the Rebbe of Chabad. He felt that the entire library belonged to him, not as a private person, but as the Fiyidik Rebbe's successor, as the Rebbe of Chabad. They would not agree with that. And the Rebbe left it alone. He didn't do anything. He just left it. And he wouldn't let anybody create a fight. Um, I'll tell you the extent to which this went. The Rebbe printed chassidus. Volumes of chassidus. From copies. Because he didn't have originals. And the originals were not hidden someplace in Russia. They were in 770 Eastern Park on the second floor. And quote, all he had to do was ask. If he would come upstairs and say, can you give me these manuscripts so I can print them, they would have been happy to give it to him. But he wasn't going to ask. He wasn't going to ask because he said, I'm not going to ask for something which is mine. And most of us, most of the Babish had no idea 
that this was going on behind the scenes. But we didn't realize the extent to which the Rebbe was upset about this for 35 years until they started selling books. When they started selling books, the Rebbe said, Atkan, as long as you didn't touch, I left it alone. But this is sacred. The, the will of the Friedrich Rebbe, which was that this should be public and not private, which means that nobody has a right to touch any of this, has to be preserved. When you left it alone and you said it's yours, as long as it was words, I didn't say a word. Now that you did an action, now we're going to see it through to the end. And there was a bitter court case. It was very personal. You don't understand. I mean, you, I mean if, if family feuds are the worst kind of feuds. And you're dealing with holy people over here. You're not dealing with children. The Rebbe and the Rebbetson were so kind to, their, to her sister and to her, nep- to her nephew. But it wasn't reciprocated. It was very, very one-sided. And the Rebbe had to win this battle. He had to win this battle because in his mind this was the will of the Fiyadik Rebbe that this doesn't belong to them. And he couldn't just say, you can take it for the sake of peace. The Rebbe would not accept compromise. Okay, so now, now that I told you the technical story, let me go back to how I started my conversation. I lived through the story of the Svarim. I lived it. Okay, I'm also a Lubavitcher Chassid. I don't see the Rebbe as a man with an ego and with jealousies and with political aspirations. Because he wasn't any of those things. He was a holy man. The Rebbe did not get as upset as he got because of a few dollars. The Rebbe had plenty of money. He wanted money, he had money. The Rebbe got upset because to him this was spiritual and holy. So if I am building the story of Hey Tavis and I'm sharing it with you, the first thing that I want to share with you is that I remember how upset the Rebbe was. That's number one. And the second thing I want to share with you is the Rebbe did not get so upset because they were fighting about books. They were not fighting about books. It was a totally different issue. It was a very spiritual thing. And the Rebbe explained, the Rebbe explained how he saw the issue. The Rebbe explained how he saw the issue. And I'm going to share with you what the Rebbe said about the story of the books as a way of uh, helping you appreciate what we're celebrating. We're not celebrating a fight between two sisters, which is very, very sad. We're not celebrating a fight between an uncle and a nephew, which is very, very sad. We're not celebrating the fact that we won and they lost because that's very insufficient. Um, the Rebbe and the Rebetzin loved the people they were fighting with, loved them deeply, before, during, and after. They felt like they had to do this. They couldn't leave this alone. This was too important. And it's a tragedy. It's very sad that a Rebbe, who had so much success, had to go through this, um, you know, personal, personal, personal pain, to be so close to him. So there's a number of things that I want to share with you in explaining to you what it was that the Rebbe saw in the story of this photo. Ultimately, the, the thing, in other words, the final thing that Rebbe said about it, what we understand it is, the Rebbe explained that he wasn't having a difference with his nephew. He didn't say it in those words. These are my words. The Rebbe went back to the Alter Rebbe and to the Mizitcher Magid. And he made the argument that when Hasidus was brought into the world, there was huge opposition. The opposition was not only people on this earth who didn't like what was going on. More seriously, the opposition was Lamaila, on high. When you reveal Taita in this world, there are forces of evil that don't want it to happen. 
And the expression which the Rebbeim used when the Altrebbe was arrested, and there's a similar story with the Holy Magid, a kitrug lamayla. A kitrug means that on high, there was a charge brought against the Altrebbe. Who allowed you to reveal so much chassidus? You've all heard the story, right? The Tzkislev was a month ago. It was two weeks ago, actually. That the Altrebbe was sitting in jail. And he was visited by the Mizitra Magid and by the Balshemtev. And he asked them, Why am I sitting in jail? And they told him that he's sitting in jail because he's spreading too much chassidus. So he said, so I'll stop. And they said, no, now it's too late. You went to jail. If you get out of here alive, in other words, if you win, that means that you win not here, but there. And you should spread even more. So during the story of the Sfarim, the Rebbe studied the story and he asked a simple question. I don't understand. More than one Rebbe went to jail. And if the, he went back to the Mesecha Magid, there's a story with the Holy Magid, which I'm sure you know, that the Pinchas Karetzer, right, you know the story, that the Pinchas Karetzer was a Talmud of the Baal Shem Tov. And he visited the Magid, and he found the page of Hasidus rolling on the ground, right? You know the story or not? No. You know, I'm going to tell you this story, okay? The, the Mesecha Magid was the second leader of Hasidus. The Baal Shem Tov was the founder, yeah? But he was the only leader of Hasidus, which made it very complicated. Why? Because he had many friends who were his contemporaries who now had to be subordinate to him. You understand? They were all in the same class, and then he became the leader. It was weird. It was very not easy. Tamid Abal Shemtev, the Baal Shemtev's disciples coming to the Magid, was a very hard fit. Some of them were older than him. Most of them had been by the Baal Shemtev for longer. He became the Rebbe. Now they became his subordinates. It was very, very uncomfortable. But they came anyway. As a show of respect, as a show of re- deference, of, re- uh, of, of deference, that's the right word. One of the people who would visit the Holy Magid, not so much as a Talmud, but as a shine of deferring, he's the leader and I'm a subordinate, even though he's probably holy, older than the Magid, was the Pinchas of Karetz. He was a big, big tzaddik, he was a Koyin. His last name was Shapiro. And the Pinchas Karetz had found in the courtyard of the Magid's Beis Medrash a page of Hasidus fluttering around on the ground. And he picked it up, and he got very upset. He said, by, by, by my Rebbe, by the Baal Shem Tev, this would never happen. He would never teach Chassidus to a person who was so insensitive, who had such a lack of discretion, that it would end up on the street. So the Magid felt this The Magid was sitting in his room, and he felt like there's a very evil spirit over him because of this Kpeda, the Pinchas So the Alter Rebbe went over to the Pinchas That was the Magid's Talmud. The Magid's disciple. And he told him the story about this, the, this, the precious stone of the king's crown. And there was a kingdom that was for generations. And they were very, very good kings and the people loved them. And one generation, the king and his princess and queen, they didn't have any children. And everybody prayed that Hashem should give them a child. And finally the child was born. And when the child was eight or nine, the child suddenly took, took ill. And they were trying to diagnose the child. And then once they diagnosed the child, they had to find a cure for the child. And all this time, the child is getting sicker and sicker. Until they discovered that the crown that the king wears, which he inherited from his father and his father's father for a thousand generations, at the base of the crown there is a mineral, that this mineral can heal the kid. But you have to destroy the crown. And by the time you destroy the crown and get the mineral, the kid may be dead. And even if the kid is still alive, you have to grind it into a powder. By the time you grind it into a powder, he may die. And even if the powder is ready and he's still alive, who says he could swallow? But one thing is for sure, the crown you're going to destroy... So they come to the king and they say, what should we do? And the king says, that's a stupid question. Take the crown, smash it, take out that stone, grind it up, feed it to my son. If we don't keep him alive, it's all nothing. 
And they take the stone, they grind it into a powder, they feed it to the dying child, and they save his life. When the al told this story to the Pirchas Karat, said he understood. Chassidus is very precious. But if we don't have Chassidus, there ain't going to be no Jews. So what's the point of keeping a secret? There's nobody to keep the secret for. So the reason Chassidus is revealed is not because we deserve it, but because we won't survive without it. So the Mizitcha Magid almost lost his life because the Pinchas Karatis paid him. And then the Alter Rebbe said to him, you don't understand, my Rebbe is not revealing Chassidus because we're worthy. My Rebbe is revealing Chassidus because we're not worthy. No, so why reveal Chassidus to people who aren't worthy? And the answer is you got to keep them alive. So the Rebbe asked a simple question. If at the times of the Magid, there was already this question raised, and it was answered, why did Alter Rebbe go to jail? So the Rebbe answered, apparently when you reveal more, you got to answer again. And the Rebbe said almost explicitly that the story of the books was not a story of books. It was not an argument between an uncle and a nephew between two sisters. It was a question of the fact that the Rebbe is giving Hasidus in an unprecedented way. That was the Rebbe's argument was. Yeah, of course. The, 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 what the Rebbe... Or, ha, or Hasidus also. Everything. But the point is, the books were just the symptom. The books were just the clue. They were what happened in the world. The Rebbe did not get upset the way he did. And it's hard to describe. How, the Rebbe got physically sick. Because his nephew takes for him. It's foolish. It wasn't about books and it wasn't about money. And it certainly wasn't about ego. It was, the Rebbe saw the removal of the books from 770 as a message from heaven. You have gone too far. About the Rebbe. Given too much chassidus, revealed too much chassidus. I mean, the Rebbe created an infrastructure of shlichus, which is going to save the Jewish people. It's not a joke. And it's not even an exaggeration. So the Rebbe saw what was happening with his nephew as not a fight with him and his nephew, as a message from heaven, you crossed the line, you gave too much. That's why the Rebbe got this upset. And the Rebbe did exactly what the Alter Rebbe did. He exactly what the Baal Shem Tev did. When there is an attack against Hasidus, because Hasidus is having too much of an effect on the world, what's the solution? Anybody? You do more. You do more. What message for the heavens? Like? What was the message from the heaven? Yeah. That the, the Rebbe did not see the Sfarim being taken as a fight between him and his nephew. The Ebishter was telling, the forces in heaven were saying that the Rebbe revealed too much Hasidus. Gave too much. Revealed too much. And by the way, in case you don't know this, and I, know you, I guess you don't know it, I know you don't know this, but a few years before the book's story broke, the Rebbe called in an old chassid, whose name was Abnissim Nemenov, and he told him, I've made up my mind, I'm going to print all the chassidus that we have. And nobody's learning it. It's sitting on shelves collecting dust. And I'm afraid that I may be pay, I'm going to pay for it. And you know what? I'm not going to stop. Four years before the story happened, the Rebbe told Reb Nissen, it was his last visit to America, that I'm printing chassidus, no one's learning it, and I may pay for it. This is how, this is how the Rebbe understood the story. How the Rebbe explained the story. The Rebbe explained the story that it wasn't about books, it wasn't about his nephew. The Rebbe felt that this taking of the books was from heaven. And you know how you, fit, you, you win a spiritual battle? Through a spiritual solution. Through a spiritual resolution. You don't fight a spiritual war with physical guns. 
You know how the Alter Rebbe defeated the forces that said he shouldn't spread chassidus? With chassidus. You know what the Rebbe did as a reaction to this Pashas Asforim? To build more Chabad houses. To put up more public menorahs. To increase in the Gili of chassidus. I remember Rabbi Kunin, from Los Angeles, he spoke when this case first was won. He spoke inside. I saw a video of him speaking. He said, every menorah we put up was a hundred svarim. Every chabaras we put up was a thousand The Rebbe's reaction to the Pachas HaSvarim was to expand Labavitch, to make the work that Labavitch does bigger and more. Why? Because the Rebbe did not see what was happening as a fight between him and his nephew over books. He saw that as an attack on him. Why? You're revealing too much and you're delivering, delivering too little. So you have to do more. This is what happened on the ground. The Rebbe's reaction to the start of this forum was during the week, the trial took place in 1985-86, Hanukkah time. The Rebbe spoke almost every night of Hanukkah. He wanted a public menorah lit in every single city in America. We used to go from city to city, there were no Jews. We'd light a menorah, sit there for half an hour, move to the next town. The Rebbe's reaction to the criticism of Sodom was to do more light. Because he didn't see his enemy, the physical people that were taking Sodom. He saw his enemy, Lamaila. That's how he fought it, and that's how he won it. So... I'm sorry I'm being repetitious, but I want to make sure that we have the story clear. Okay, I told you the technical story. I told you the story on a practical level, what happened. I also explained to you how upset the Rebbe was. And I explained to you that the Rebbe doesn't get this upset about a fight over books. The Rebbe got this upset because he realized that his opponent was not his nephew. It was Inyan Ruchni. It was happening from Lamaila. And the reaction is, when the Abishta questions... When, when the heavens question what a tzaddik does, the tzaddik's answer is not to withdraw. The tzaddik's answer is to win by doing more. And that's what happened. That's what happened. The Rebbe spoke about it. In 1987, Hey Tevis, which is now, it's now 32 years since that day, when, we, when the Rebbe won the case, he spoke in 770, and he said, the complaint was that we're not doing enough and the answer is that we need to do more. That's what the Rebbe said. The complaint was, we're not doing enough. And the answer is, we need to do more. And then the Rebbe asked a question on that. What the Rebbe's question was? How can anybody say we haven't done enough? We've done so much. You can, you can read the Sikhet. This is You don't have to trust me. This is the Rebbe's words exactly. Yeah? The Rebbe said the complaint was that we haven't done enough. The answer, the solution is to do more. But then the Rebbe said, how could anybody say we haven't done enough? We've done more than ever. And the Rebbe said, only one answer. And he read it all into the chitas. That year, hey, Tavis was Tuesday, not Thursday. Yesterday's chitas. The Rebbe, the whole chumish of Tuesday, of Ayigash, you couldn't have a better pasha chumish than the entire chumish for the story. Sometimes the Abishta brings a complaint against a person that's not just because he wants even more. That's the Rebbe answer. It's impossible to say, the Rebbe said, that we haven't done enough. It's impossible to say that this criticism was justified on the grounds that the Rebbe, Chesidim, hasn't done enough. We've done so much. The only way to explain it is that the heavens saw how much we're doing and they wanted more. So they created a complaint. That's how the Rebbe interpreted the story of this father. 
He created a complaint, so we should do more still. In other words, first of all, the Rebbe identified the story as a, as a kitrug. At Lamaila, there was a criticism against the Rebbe for revealing too much chesidus. So the Rebbe said, the answer is to do more. But then the Rebbe said, I can't understand the complaint. We did so much more, so much before the complaint. And the Rebbe said, the only answer is that they decided, Lamaila, that as much as we're doing, they'd like us to do more. So they created a complaint where no complaint deserved to be. That's how the Rebbe spun it. In public. That's how he explained it. So, the story of the books can seem very petty. And like I said to you before, it seems so, so typical. It's a family that's fighting over the estate. And that's how it looks. It's ugly. That it was, it was not a family and it wasn't an estate. It was holy of holies. Kedesh HaKadoshim. And um, this is the understanding that the Rebbe had about the Pasha Sasforim. And the Rebbe made it very clear that if we want to win the Sfarim, there's only one way. More mitzvahs, more alakus, more godliness, more shlichus, more spreading of alakus, bringing the world close to Mashiach still is the only answer. And he said, the complaint is because we're doing, and the answer is not to stop, but to do even more. Okay. The Alter Rebbe went to jail for spreading Hasidus. What's the relation between him going to jail and books? No, there's a, something happens in this world, which is a message from heaven that says, you got to fix something. When something bad happens in my life and in your life, what do we do? We find a solution. Correct? Mm-hmm. You know the story of Purim? Yeah. You know the story of Purim, yeah? What? I, the story of Purim. Uh, yeah, I know. Yeah. Homer wanted to kill the Jews, yeah? What did Mordechai do? He made Yidin do tshuva. What's the connection? Hum wants to kill the Jews. You run to the palace and you make a tumble. Why do you go do tshuva? Because Mordechai was a tzaddik. And Mordechai understood that Haman can't kill Jews unless they let Mamaila. So Mordechai said, I have to solve the real problem. The real problem is why does Haman exist? Because we need to do tshuva. If we'll do tshuva, what happens down here is mopping up. You understand? It's, it's the end of the story. It's sweeping up the dust that's left behind. That's how tzaddikim deal with... When something happens in the life of a tzaddik, the tzaddik doesn't call up a lawyer. The tzaddik says, what's the message? What's the neshama? What's going on that's the real reason? Al-Tabi went to jail because Mestagim didn't like him. We know exactly why he went to jail. But that's not how he interpreted it. He went to jail because someone was saying he had no right to spread so much chassidus. What was his answer? To spread more. And this is what the Rebbe did. When the Sfarim were taken, the Rebbe didn't say, oh, I have a fight with my nephew. The Rebbe said, what's the message from God? You understand? And he answered his own question. The message from God is, chassidus is not, we're not doing enough, so we should do more. And then when we won, the Rebbe said, we won because we did more. But we were doing so much before. How could this have happened? And the answer that the Rebbe gave is because the Ebishter created a kitrug where no kitrug was meant to be because he wanted more from us. That's the story of Hey Tevis as the Rebbe explained it on the occasion of Hamisha Batevis, Tov Shin, Memzai 1987. The Sikh is in print. There's an audio, there's a video, there's a print. You don't have to believe me. That's exactly what, how the Rebbe explained it. You understand? This is the story of the books. That's a Vitevis. That's a it's an Ishama Vitevis. So what I'm trying to do, what I'm attempting to do. But the message for 
Rebbe in heaven said, the Rebbe is a tzaddik. Yes. And he has a whole group of chassidim. Yes. They have a job to do. And if they don't do their job, they get a, a punch in the nose. That's the message. If they don't do it well enough, something not good happens. And you don't fix it. Down here, you have to fix it by doing it right. Okay. You have to fix the neshama in order for the goof to be fixed. In other words, if Mordechai was a regular person, he wasn't a tzaddik, he would start a rebellion and go fight with Haman and be like, okay, so I got rid of Haman, problem solved. But because he was a tzaddik, he, he was able to see beyond that and to, to be the better guy. Now, this is, so what I did was like this. I wanted to sort of do what a chiropractor does, you know, click. <laughs> I wanted you to see it differently. I don't want you to see this Svarim story as a fight over books. Because the Rebbe didn't see it that way. He really didn't. He really didn't see it as a fight over books. He saw it as a spiritual struggle. And I explained to you what he said publicly when we won. When it was all over, the Rebbe said publicly what I shared with you so far. Okay, I just gave you a, a version of the Hamisha Bateva story, which is based on the Sikhs that the Rebbe said in 1987 and in 1986. You follow? Okay. Now I'm going to tell you another version of the story. The following version of the story is what the Rebbe said in 1985 when it all started. These two versions are not mutually exclusive. They're mutually inclusive. But they're different versions. Different ways of looking at it. Okay. The second version of the Chanisha Tevis story that I shared with you. And again, I want to make it very clear. That never did the Rebbe see this as a material issue. It was never what was happening here. It was always what's happening there. The second version of the Chanisha Tevis story that I want to share with you. Which the Rebbe spoke about. When he first, when it first started, when he first found out that the Sfarim were taken, was very, very lofty. The Rebbe said, the books cannot be taken by the family because the Friedrich Rebbe is still alive. That was the position. The Rebbe leapt. You cannot divide the estate of a living person. When the story first started, not the end of the story, but the beginning of the story, when the f- story first started, when it was initially introduced publicly by the Rebbe, the position that the Rebbe took was, you cannot divide the estate of the Fidei Rebbe, the Fidei is still alive. How the Fidei Rebbe is still alive? There was a Levaya. 35 years before there was a Levaya. So the Rebbe invoked uh, the Rashi, which is based on a Gemara, that says, Yankav Avinu loy meis. Yankav Avinu never died. But then it says, Why? Why do we say Yankavinu Lay Mace? Anybody know the second half of the statement? Huh? Ma Zare Bachayim Afu Bachayim. Because his children are alive, he lives. When the Gemara says, Yankavinu Lay Mace, Jacob never died, the Gemara says, Why? What does it mean that Yankavinu never died? Because he lives on in his children. And the Rebbe quoted the Tanya, where the Alter Rebbe says, the life of a tzaddik is not a biological life. The life of a tzaddik is not measured in, in physiology and biology and in breaths and in, and in morsels of food. The life of a tzaddik is measured by emunas Hashem and avas Hashem and yiras Hashem, by faith 
in God and love and fear of God or for God. That's the life of a tzaddik. And those things never die. And they live on in their Talmudim. They live on in their Hasidim. And the Rebbe then went on to explain something much more personal, much more, if you will, disturbing. And the Rebbe said that when someone takes a book out of 770 and he's saying that the Friyadik Rebbe is not alive, what he's really saying is that we're no longer his Hasidim. So it's not an attack on the Friyadik Rebbe, it's an attack on us. If Hasidim follow a Rebbe, the Rebbe lives. There's a quote from the Rebbe Marash, from the fourth Labavachin Rebbe, a long time ago. A long, long time ago, who said, and I quote, and I'll say it first in Yiddish, and I'll translate it into English. As long as there's a Rebbe, there's Chassidim. But Chassidim was too, and the Chassidim have to work on themselves. If the Chassidim failed to work, they make the Rebbe stop being a Rebbe. This is what the Rebbe Marash told one of his Chassidim. As long as his Chassidim is a Rebbe, but if the Chassidim stop working, they dethrone the Rebbe. A Rebbe's power comes from Chassidim. If the Chassidim ceases to be a Chassidim, the Rebbe stops being a Rebbe. So the Rebbe said, when someone, you cannot take Svarim from a living Rebbe. You can't take books from a Rebbe still alive. Unless the Rebbe has, there's something wrong with the Rebbe's life. But what could be wrong with the life of a Rebbe? He's a Tzaddik. And the answer is because he lives through Chassidim. If the Hasidim are living, the Rebbe lives. And when there's an attack on the Rebbe, it's an attack on, it means that the Hasidim are not living enough. This is how the Rebbe presented it in the beginning. You cannot divide the estate of the Fidik Rebbe. The Fidik Rebbe is alive. And the Fidik Rebbe is alive in every single Chassid. Every one of us who lives according to the spirit and to the teaching and the direction and the inspiration of the Rebbe is a piece of the Rebbe's life. And when someone comes along and says, let's divide the estate of the Rebbe, that someone is saying that the Rebbe is no longer living. That's another word saying that there's something wrong with the Chassidim. So the Rebbe said, we have to become alive. And the problem will resolve itself. Chassidim have to be Chassidim, as Chassidim are supposed to be. So the Rebbe will be living as the Rebbe is supposed to be. So the removal of the books will cease. Now, of course... This is very, it's very spiritual. Why? There was a physical person on this earth who took the books, they said they were his, and he wanted to sell them. And the Rebbe is saying it's not about him, and it's not about money, and it's not about power, and it's not about ego, it's not about politics. It's about Zareh Bechai. The Rebbe interpreted the entire story spiritually. So and so took the books because there is a question about the life of the Rebbe. And there's a question about the life of a Rebbe. How can it be a question of the life of a Rebbe? The Rebbe is such a holy person. The question of the life of a Rebbe is a question on the Chassidim. And therefore the solution is, if you want to ascertain, if you want to guarantee the who Bachayim, the fact that the Rebbe is living, you have to guarantee, you have to ascertain the Zare Bachayim. Like in our days for sure. But it was then true and it's truer now. The Rebbe lives in you and in me and in her. And the more we're connected to the Rebbe, the more revealed the Rebbe's life is. And when someone takes Svarim, it's a statement, it's over, it's finished, it was, it's no longer. So the answer is not to fight over the books, you got to do that too. You know, when the Rebbe, the, Rebbe, the two people who, who, who fought the battle of the Svarim for the Rebbe were Rabbi Avraham Shemtiv and Rabbi Yudel Krinsky. Yeah, they were the Rebbe's people. 
They were the Rebbe's representatives. They were involved with the lawyers and the whole case. When the Rebbe called them, you know what the Rebbe told them? I should really call in Mendel Futafas Emeirafts, which was two old chassidim with long white beards. Because this is a chassidish battle. It's a battle about chassidus. I'm calling you because you're practical people. Because you can do it down to earth. But this is really an issue of chassidus. It's a pneumiastic thing. That's the word chassidim. The chassidim. With the idea that when a chassid lives where the Rebbe wants him to live, the Rebbe lives in and him and through that chassid. And when a chassid doesn't live, to live, it doesn't diminish the life of the chassid. It diminishes the degree on which the Rebbe's life on this earth is present even after Yudshvat. Many, many years after he physically passes away. That's the story. So when you wonder why this day is such a big deal, think about the two things I just shared with you. We're not celebrating books. Now, I want to be candid. The Rebbe introduced customs that we should do on Hey Tevis. Chamisha, Tevis, Hey Tevis has been hugged. You, you know, tomorrow, tonight, what day is Wednesday? Tomorrow is Chamisha Tevis. So you, you're supposed to try and buy new books or to bind books that you already have to expand libraries. Everybody, of course, within their means. The customs of tomorrow, tonight and tomorrow is to buy Sfarim. But what's the story and what's the celebration? What's the Dida Notzach? The Dida Notzach is two perspectives. One perspective is that the Eivishter wants Chassidim to do more of what the Rebbe wants. And that's why you have this setback so that we should do even more. That's number one. And number two, there becomes a question of the life of the Rebbe. Is the Rebbe alive or is the Rebbe not alive? And the answer is, are the Chassidim alive? Not Chassidim, are they biologically alive? Are Chassidim living the way the Rebbe inspires them to live, then the Rebbe is living. If Chassidim are deficient in living the way the Rebbe wants them to live, it brings into question the life of the Rebbe himself. And the symptom is, the itches, the rash, is that the Sfarim are taken. That's only a symptom. It's not the real issue. And when you resolve the real issue, the problem goes away. So when we get together, hey Tavis, what are we, what are we, what are Hasidim talk about today in 2018, yeah? In Tesh, what do we talk about when this occasion comes? We talk about the idea that the life of the Rebbe, yeah? The life of the Rebbe is through and in and with us. And it will be the way we're supposed to be, the Rebbe lives. And if we're not the way it's supposed to be, it affects the life of the Rebbe. The important thing is us, Zare Bachaim. That's what it's all about. It's about us. It's about chassidim being chassidim. So the story happened years before Gimel Thomas. We're sitting now 25 years after Gimel Thomas. Do you understand how important this is? you have any idea how serious this day is? What is the message of this day? What is the holiday of Dida Notzach? What's the Yom Tov of Dida Notzach? The Yom Tov is a declaration that came from heaven that's a very simple thing. If Chassidim lived the way the Rebbe wants them to live, the Rebbe lives. That's the message. But there's also the other message. That if Chassidim don't live the way they live, the Rebbe's life ends. Or is challenged. You get the point. The point is, this is a very important occasion. It's not about books. It's about books, but it's not about books. It's about the deepest ideas of Hasidus and about the relationship between Hasidim and the Rebbe and it's about us it's about today it's about 2019 2018 it's about after Gimel the Rebbe is very alive because we are his Hasidim but his life is us with us through us and in us so there's an enormous amount of responsibility on our part the Didanatzach Yom Tev celebrates this idea 
that a tzaddik is alive as long as his chassidim live. That's what the Yom Tov is. And this is not only a day to celebrate, it's a day to contemplate. It's a day to appreciate what it means. You know, there, everybody in this room, with the exception of me, never saw the Rebbe. Is that a fair statement? Have you ever seen the Rebbe? You've never seen the Rebbe either, right? And the rest of you, maybe you saw him on the other side. <laughs> the only one, you've, and you, you are the Baba Chachsidim, on some level. Why? Why? Can't find another group to join? <laughs> Why? Because it's real, because it's living. How is it living? In the oil? Yeah, it's absolutely living in the oil. It's living in the oil because it lives in your actions, and it lives in your life, and it's in how you do things from day to day. And this is why this is so important. So this is a yom tiv. You can go to the library and look at the books, but understand what's going on here. In every one of those books, there's a piece of Rebbe. But you know why in every one of those books there's a piece of Rebbe? Because in every one of you there's a piece of Rebbe. And you're living, like a chassid makes the Rebbe living. It makes Labavitch today, not yesterday. You follow? And that, that's, that's the Danotzach. That's really the story. Was there a story with books? Was there a fight between an uncle and a nephew? I hate to say it, but yes, there was. But that's not the version of the story that Ebbet told. And it's not the version of the war that Ebbet fought, you understand. What did the Rebbe do? The Rebbe hired lawyers and he went to court. And he argued that the Svarim are not private, they're public. They don't belong to a person, they belong to a community. That's what he did. The, the lawyers thought they'd never win that case, and they won. Completely, 100%. There was no compromises at all. But what did he explain? He explained that this is not about the Rebbe, this is about Chassidim. If Chassidim do what they have to do, there's no problems with the Rebbe. If Chassidim don't what to do, the problem is against the Rebbe. And uh, that's why the books were taken. And when it was shown that Chassidim are doing what they need to do, the Svarim were returned. I, I once told the story many, many years ago in 770, right after Gimel Thomas, I told the story. So an older woman, a wonderful lady, screams out, It's not over! The story isn't finished. The story of Hetev is every day. Every day that we are the Rebbe's Chassidim, is Dida Natsach. You understand? And Chas Shalom, when there's a def- de- deficit in that, it, it brings back the original question. I tried to share the story of Heitavis to you in a way that you should walk out of here not seeing it as a fight between the nephew and his nephew. Because that's not what it was. You know, one I was not here, I missed it. I was away for the whole parasha. But every week I called my brother and say, What happened by Fabreng and Shabbos? There was one occasion, one occasion, where the Rebbe said, It says Kamayim Aponim Leponim Kain Leibadmalon. The Pasik says in Mishlei that like a face like water mirrors a face. Like when you look at the mirror, you see yourself. The same is true of a human heart. That if you love somebody else, they're going to love you back. So the Rebbe said, leave. I love him. I can't understand why he doesn't love me back. That's what the Rebbe said. Leave. I love him. It doesn't make sense. The Torah says that if you love someone, they have to love you reciprocally. I love him. It was, you understand? The Rebbe, it wasn't a comfortable... Wasn't the Rebbe and the Rebbetson weren't very happy when they won. But who did they defeat? It was very personal. Very personal. It was not a pleasant story. There's nothing, there's no way to spin the actual story in a nice way. It's a very sad story. The Rebbe didn't deserve this. He really didn't deserve it. 
But what he enlightened, what he took from it, what he inspired, is very important, very real, very positive. Okay, Chazak, Chazak, I'll see you in a week. In a, in a plain and simple, it's a very deep and beautiful, I've never heard it in that version. This is the version that the Rebbe said. I, 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 Besides I, for that. I was, um, I was like one years old when he passed away. I met him maybe two or three times. Who's him? Ah, oh, the Rebbe. So we say Gimel Thomas rather than pass away. We uh, like to so, be politically incorrect. So someone can possibly interpret this whole concept as a, of course he's alive, in a more of a Literal. denial kind of way. Okay, I, I don't want to get involved in this because whatever I do, I'm going to lose. So you're going to have to guess what I think about these questions. You know, extremes that come from politics are very unfortunate. You know why? Because you don't really want to be an extremist. The politics makes you into one. You say one thing, I say another thing, and then we start to fight. I push you to a more extreme position that you would naturally hold. You push me towards a more extreme position that I'd possibly hold. But if you can take the politics out of it, we all believe the same thing. And it's not childish at all. But this is what happens. People, egos, nonsense. You understand? And you got to try to be above it. It's not so easy, but you got to try to be above it.